0: Welcome to the podcast, People of the Book. I'm your host, Meryl Ayn. We're proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. We chat with authors and storytellers in thought-provoking and intimate interviews, all with a Jewish twist. On today's program, I'm delighted to welcome Rabbi Menachem Creditor as my guest. Rabbi Creditor serves as the Pearl and Ira Meyer Scholar-in-Residence at UJA Federation New York and was the founder of Rabbis Against Gun Violence an acclaimed author, scholar and speaker with over 3 million views of his online videos and essays, he was named by Newsweek as one of the 50 most influential rabbis in America. His yes. numerous books and six albums of original music include the global anthem Olam Has Bene, and the COVID era two volume anthology When We Turned Within. His latest volume is Am Yisroel High Essays, Poems, and Prayers for Israel, which was published on October 17th. Rabbi Creditor and his wife, Neshama Karlbach, live in New York where they are raising their five children. So, welcome, Rabbi Creditor.
1: Hi, Meryl. Good to be Hi. with you.
0: There's so much to speak about with you today your advocacy, your books, your music, your work with UJA. And of course, um, unfortunately, the attack on Israel and anti-Semitism around the world. So um, first, I, I understand that you uh, recently returned from a UJA Federation mission to Israel. Would you tell us um, a little bit about it and, and what you learned from the experience?
1: Sure. Sure. You know, the, the hardest part of the question is telling you a little bit about it.
0: All right. So tell me a lot. <laughs> yeah.
1: You know, it's when when we whenever we experience trauma and there has been no trauma like this, even including the Yom Kippur War mm. since uh, since the Shoah, um, the people Israel right now, uh, by which I mean all of us and especially those of us in the state of Israel are experiencing such deep and significant trauma that stopping to talk about it is actually very hard on a physical level. And, and that's what it is to be part of a people. You know, right. if my family is hurting, how can I only talk about part of the pain? Right. Um uh, let, let me begin by just saying that if you are ordering coffee at a at a at a shop in anywhere in Israel right now, if you meet the barista's eyes, you're already having this conversation. Mm-hmm. That that's how pervasive and real it is. Wow. Um, And I'll say that I'm so proud of UJA for sending a group of 29 rabbis and Jewish leaders from the New York area um, to bear testimony and to show solidarity. And we were a group of diverse rabbis. I'll just give you one vignette to begin with. The survivors of many of the kibbutzim, including Be'eri and Kfar Aza in the south, have been relocated as a group of survivors, and I'll come back to this language, um, near Yamamelah, near the Dead Sea. Um, all of many, most of the survivors of kibbutz Be'eri, about 800 people, are now entirely occupying a hotel um, near the Dead Sea. Um, it's a displaced person's camp in Israel which, mm. oh my mm. God, you know, UJA has sent me to the border of Poland and Ukraine, and I've been to other difficult places on earth. I never thought that I would be in a displaced persons camp in Israel. Um, and when we were there, we also, you know, we're a group of, of religious leaders. We wanted to pray. So I, I spoke to the group and I said, listen, we're not of one brand of our people, but denominationalism is a luxury of peacetime. We have to definitely forgive each other quickly, if not all of our spiritual commitments are met by davening in one style. So one person led and we were by the water and nearby there was, you know, a pop-up JCC that actually UJ was helpful in funding for the children in this community. And uh, they're playing and we're standing by the beach and we're getting ready to daven. And these two older women, Uh, from, I'm imagining, from the survivor community, Um, we're walking by having just gone swimming. They're wearing towels. They walk by, and they're looking at us in shock because, first of all, some of us look really from. A lot of us are women. Like, we're a very strange group to see, especially in Israeli religious terms. And so they're walking by, and I'm like, what could be holier than talking to my sisters, to my grandmothers? Mm -hmm. And I go up to them, and they said, Meatem, who are you? We're a group of rabbis. We came here to support you. And they burst into tears. Oh my goodness. Mm. That's where we are. So I'll, I'll, I can give you vignette after vignette after vignette, speaking with soldiers, speaking with families of hostages, going to a military funeral for a young man named Lavi Lipschitz, one of the first casualties. In our response in Gaza, a young chayal who's a photographer and a sweet, funny guy. And we, you know, we had a full itinerary and we could do 20% of what we planned because of security concerns. Mm-hmm. One of the things that was a replacement on our itinerary was that we went to this military funeral on her Herzl in Jerusalem. And, uh, and it's no exaggeration to say that as we were standing there with thousands and thousands of people, some of whom are just spending all day going to funerals because when 1,400 of our sisters and brothers were brutally murdered, there weren't enough grave diggers. Oh my God. Not enough people to go. So oh. we were there as part of our family, and the heavens opened up. I've lived in Jerusalem for a long time. It was a downpour like I've never seen. In Jerusalem, a river basically running down from Har Herzl, we were soaked to the bone and God was crying. So so I can can give you one after another of these, including standing with wounded soldiers who are part of a group called Achim Lechaim, Brothers and Sisters for Life, who are there to heal wounded soldiers by showing up as people who had the same exact wounds, their future selves, saying, you're going to be okay and they usually help 200 newly wounded soldiers a year they are anticipating at least 2000 in the coming months so um, yeah go ahead Meryl, yeah, I, I could so, keep going go ahead
0: uh you know obviously um that this experience you know touched you and and your colleagues on the uh, deepest level possible and um those of us who have not um been to Israel during this time Perry can't can't possibly understand it except by listening to people like you who've been here. What I want to ask you is how how did being there inform uh your insights into what's going on and 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 the work that that you do.
1: I'm so glad for that question. It also helps me focus the memories into something that could be helpful, uh, which is the most important thing we can do. Um, you know, I, I consider myself decently informed, um, and because of my work as rabbi for UJA Federation, New York, um, I also consider myself deeply connected, but I don't think I really know anything yet nor even with the enormous capacity that UJA has to be helpful, have we begun to address the need? But I do know that our rootedness in history primes us for hearing the testimony that is newly newly ours again since October 7th. So I'll say this. I sat with a, a Holocaust survivor um, the Wednesday morning we were there named uh, Rena Quint. Some of us might know her really one of the most powerful and eloquent people you'll ever meet. And she talked about her own story, a survivor of the Shoah, who's lived in Israel now for decades. Um, And then she talked about um, the new survivors. She used that language. And it's one thing for me to say it. It's another thing to hear my teacher, a survivor of the Shoah, say it. And that means that there's a profound shift that's now happening in the Jewish soul, the collective soul, which is to recognize we're survivors again. And when she was speaking, because this is such an important way of understanding where we are now, certainly where I am, she also began speaking about hostages. And she spoke about one young man, his name is Hirsch goldberg Poland, Right. Um, who has recognizable injuries, right? We've seen terrible videos of what happened to his body. And When she spoke about him, she didn't know that the next people who were going to walk into the room were his parents, Rachel and Jonathan. Mm -hmm. And, And I sat between them because I was facilitating this conversation, and they looked at each other and spanned our history. And so I think it's important for me to amplify that that they understand each other. If you and many people have witnessed Rachel and Jonathan and other families of of the hostages speaking, their faces look like our survivors' faces because they are.
0: Right.
1: And we are in a never-again moment. Um, And I've never made those comparisons. I usually respond that we can't make the comparison exactly, between everything and the Shoah. exactly
0: right? No, there is nothing like the Holocaust, nothing. And and people, you know, th- in the past have have thrown it around with with all kinds of things and and really I think that's the position of the has been of, up until this moment the Jewish community, you know, that the Holocaust is is unique, but now it 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 feels it feels again like
1: never again is now. It is. And I'll say, by the way, just because it's you that I'm speaking with, you know, the name of your most recent novel, right? Shadows We Carry. Mm. Oh, is that haunting? Oh, is that true? And I know I am imagining you didn't intend for the resonance to be what it is now, but I read that title and your writings, and all of a sudden that shadow i am carrying and i'm more aware of carrying it it's not just epigenetic trauma that i've inherited it's also trauma that is current it's so thank important to know that
0: thank you Th- thank you for that and you're absolutely right i i i wrote um actually you know both of both of my books the takeaway men and shadows we carry because i i wanted to focus on the long-term impact of the holocaust on their survive on the survivors and succeeding generations and i never in a, in a million years thought that we would experience anything um, that felt uh like the Holocaust and in fact um you know we we talk about Kristallnacht um which was you know covered by newspapers uh through throughout the world. I mean this this was feels to me worse than Kristallnacht.
1: Yes. 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 You know I, I sat with um a profound thought leader, uh, Micha Goodman. Many of us have learned with him mm-hmm. over the years. Um, the first night that we landed, so that was, oh God, it feels like 80 years ago, but I think <laughs> it was last Monday. And um, and he referenced something that I was suddenly teaching too, which is a, a poem written by Chaim Nachman Bialik, the poet laureate of pre-state of Israel, um, British mandate Palestine, um, He was sent by the Jewish community to Kishinev in Mm -hmm. in, uh, in 1903 after the massacre to bear testimony in a poetic journalistic way. It was a very powerful mission that he was on. And he composed what is now a very famous poem called Be'ir HaHariga in the city of slaughter. Micha Goodman, in recounting this, made a haunting and I think astute observation that because and again, this is not a political comment. It really is the feeling of the people of Israel, regardless of their politics right now, that because of the failure of the government to adequately prepare and prevent, and because it took Sahal, the IDF, so long to show up in the South right. when when the threats were happening and the violence was happening and, you know, Israeli citizens were holding their, their bomb shelter doors against the terrorists for 12 hours. Bir Haharega about Kishinev was supposed to be a rallying call so that Kishinev would never happen again. The State of Israel is so that Kishinev will never happen again. And for 17 hours, Kishinev happened again. For 17 hours, there was, this is Micha Goodman's language, and I, I share it cautiously. Mm-hmm. For 17 hours, there was no state of Israel. That is, that's chilling. That is yeah. very chilling. Yeah.
0: And there will be uh, a lot of uh, <laughs> reports and books written about this. Uh, and uh, yeah, we, we really don't know why yet.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's too much.
0: Um. So, i'm i'm fascinated um you know as as a a long time supporter of u j federation i uh, my husband Stuart, and i i'm i'm fascinated by 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 your um position uh and there and um i i'd be curious um for you to tell us a little bit about it and um how the Hamas attack uh, has impacted your role, and and how's UJA Federation handling the crisis?
1: Yeah, yeah. I, again, I can't thank you enough for the question because, as as complicated as what I'm about to say is, I believe it is radically true. Um, having first of all been part of UJA my entire life, childhood through now, but professionally for the last six years, mm-hmm. I I have witnessed incredible reach and professionalism. Um let me use a framework that isn't Israel in order to get into it. When we sent a group of I think we were 25 rabbis to the Ukrainian Polish border just a month after the war began there. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw grassroots organizations that UJA has been funding that because of our relationships, we were able to pivot and they turned into refugee welcoming sites with our funding, with our funding of the Jewish Agency to help people get to Israel if that's where they needed to be to help Ukrainian refugees find a home because we were already doing that work. So we gave emergency allocations, but so too, now I'm going to make the pivot to Israel, so too does our work on the ground sponsoring holy places, magical places like Shalva, which is an organization in Jerusalem that helps children with learning disabilities and special education needs and their families be healthy and loving and supported. They've now welcomed in 2,000 displaced people from the south who have those needs including young women at risk We've always been funders of Shalva, but we were able to leverage our relationship and their strength with emergency grants. Mm -hmm. In the face of all this, we have already allocated more than $38 million on the ground in Israel faster than nations have been able because of our relationships. And we built, I hope people will be able to visit when times are calmer. I hope mm-hmm. they'll visit now. We built a five-story palace in the middle of Jerusalem. I call it a palace, but it's <laughs> it's the Jerusalem Center of the Arts that mm-hmm. brings the Batsalel Art Academy and dance troops and musicians and and we built this centennial project in the heart of Jerusalem near the Shuk, actually, and it is meant to bring together the diversity of Jerusalem's population. But if you go there now. It's being called, there are T-shirts for it. I'm wearing the T-shirt for it. Hamal haEzrachi, which is an abbreviation for Cheder haEzrachi, the citizens' situation room. Because where the government didn't show up and still is struggling to show up effectively for the, the state of Israel and its citizens, citizens are showing up. And they're using our facility to create a thrift shop, to give away goods to anyone who needs anything to coordinate thousands of volunteers, bringing food and therapeutic care and the Israel Trauma Coalition that we founded and is now successfully, please God, helping our children and our adults who are under severe mental stress. So UJA is showing up with robust emergency funds. We've raised, I believe over $140 million in the last 34 days distributing it with accountability and support to victims of terror, supporting the Jewish agency, supporting Magen David Adom. So UJA might be the world's largest local philanthropy. That's what we we are and we call ourselves. But our footprint in the state of Israel is nothing short of feeding the very heart of our people there so that they can take care of our body.
0: Well, I, I think that that's... Awesome. And unfortunately, I think um, the uh, at least the world media, I'm not talking about the, the Israeli media, has completely um Drop the ball not only in terms of forgetting about the attacks that that happened on October seventh and what precipitated um this war to begin with but but the fact that there are how many displaced people um who who have been driven from their homes in israel uh, um we don't hear a lot about that, do we
1: no. No, we don't. The media has normalized the terrorism of Hamas. It seems the media also normalized photographers who knew in advance of the attacks and then paid them for their work sitting with the terrorists, let alone forgetting so quickly, so quickly, um, the inhumanity that was perpetrated upon Israel and the necessity of what Israel is now responding with in Gaza. Wow. Wow.
0: So, uh, a, a, as you know, very well, uh, semitism is on the rise, uh, throughout the world in the streets and and unfortunately on our college campuses here according to the ADL anti-semitic incidents are up 400% and although Jews are are 2.4% of the US population there's we are 60% of the victims of religious Uh, hate crimes. I'm just curious, um, have you experienced anti-Semitism since October 7th? Um, And do you have any um, stories of people who have?
1: I do. I do. And let me start with my people, my most direct people. I have two children on college campuses in the States right now. Uh, One, my son is uh, at Binghamton, and my daughter is at Queen's College. Mm -hmm. And they have experienced, even in those... Even in
0: Queen's College? (laughs) That's
1: shocking. Yeah. Well, you know, there are strong Jewish populations in both. Mm -hmm. But the difference between um, feeling compassion and solidarity with civilians in Gaza who are dying because of Hamas Mm -hmm. and attacking Jews should be a bright, bright line. But for a lot of people on campus who aren't careful thinkers, despite being in a context of higher education, um, those lines are very hazy. As a graduate of Columbia and JTS, I've watched language that is frightening on campus. So mm-hmm. through my children, I experience it, and myself too. The I have a pretty robust social media presence, and I have been attacked literally every second by thousands um, for every post that I post. I've had to get much more careful about um, the controls that I use, but um, the silence of friends is just as much a manifestation of antisemitism as explicit attacks. And the difference between a verbal attack and a physical attack is only a matter of degree, not, mm-hmm. not category. And so as a progressive activist in the States, I, you know, as you mentioned, I founded Rabbis Against Gun Violence. There has been radical silence and worse from the, the far left and even from the middle left of mm-hmm. progressive American politics, um, including elected officials who should be more informed about what they say before they speak sometimes. Um, it's everywhere. It's, it's real and I'm grateful to the work of ADL and I'm grateful to the work of Hillel International to create safe environments for our children. And frankly, one of the ways that anti-Semitism is manifest on a daily basis, we almost accept it as just part of the landscape is the additional police presence at my children's school mm-hmm. and the additional guards, which are traumatizing when you think about them. Why should my child need a guard to go learn? In the 21st century. Right. Right. And I go to shul and I'm grateful. (laughs) Thank God for our partnership with the police. And thank God for UJA's funding for the community security initiative, CSI. Um, But that it's necessary. There are people who are considering not going to the massive rally that's going to be taking place in D.C. this Tuesday Mm -hmm. because they're concerned for their lives. Mm -hmm. That that says something that says something.
0: It does. It does. Uh, so let's, let's, uh, talk about, uh, uh, the, the collection of writings Am Yisrael High. uh, which you put together in record time. I, 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 don't know. I don't know how you did it in, in such a short time. So I, I'd like you to talk about that a little bit. What was the impetus for the book? Tell us a little bit about what's in it. And, how were you able to put it together? What did you do it in 10 days? I mean, I I I I I'm and it and it's really it's a beautiful book. Uh so so how'd you do
1: it? <laughs> Thank you. So, you know, it's it's called Amisra El Chai, which tells you that the mission began before this year. Am Yisrael Chai was a phrase made very famous by my father-in-law, Rabbi Shlomo Karlbach, during the Solidarity with Soviet Jewry movement, where he wrote the anthem of that title. Mm -hmm. Um, But Am Yisrael Chai is a rallying call. So before I I even talk about the mechanics, it is a call to action and call for Jewish vigilance and a reminder that we are alive. It's it's not just a prayer. It's a promise from the past. Um, And you know i have put together anthologies before the the mechanics of it um in terms of production it's it's not it's not actually all that tricky but you have to have the relationships and the connections so that you can solicit really important voices quickly mm-hmm. um and so um you know october 7th uh <laughs> we all even though Shabbos and even though a simple star, like we sprang into action. We, we have to save our lives. We have to save our family. And so I didn't put out the call on that day. I waited two days because yes. <laughs> um, A, I couldn't breathe. And I, I uh, it's like, really? I'm going to put together a book like a book is going to help. But often in these moments, and there are no moments like this one, um, raw testimony is very important. And so the book is very pretty to look at. Joanne Fink is a wonderful artist who I'm, I'm friends with, who reached out and offered to design the cover once I, once I announced the book. Um, and people from around the world started sending in prayers and poetry. I just put on social media the call for submissions. And the interior of the book is, I mean, it's, I think it's well done. It, it,
0: it is. You know,
1: but mm-hmm. it's also very raw. Mm -hmm. Very, very raw. And it's important for us not to forget the sharpness of our grief, the immediate um, work that it takes just to wake up in the morning and start moving again. Um, And so I put out a call, people sent in their stuff. I edited the manuscript and worked with Joanne to make the cover. And it was actually done a few days before the 17th because, um, Making the manuscript and submitting it is only the first part, I then had to push um the publishing platform to release it so that people could could begin to access it um and all the proceeds were going to go to u j a federation to support the emergency fund. so far, we've raised two thousand dollars through the book for that um and i i I have to say that among the strangest aspects of this is that since it came out, it's been the number one. Amazon seller, I know, I in the categ- <laughs> but in the category of terrorism. Yes, yes. Terrorism. Am Israel Chai yeah. is the number one in that category. Wow, does that say something? It
0: it does. So, would you um tell us how uh, people can support UJA Federation's Israel Emergency Fund by by purchasing the book?
1: Absolutely. So the. First of all, if you want to support UJ directly, go to our website and just click donate now. And I hope that you all will. Um, The book itself, you can access on Amazon um, and just look up Am Yisrael Chai book or look up my name, Menachem Creditor. You'll find it. um, And uh, we'll be we'll be turning the, the proceeds around as soon as we can. To be helpful. We're actually in the middle of creating a sequel volume. Many people submitted after the deadline. And so I'm oh, not quite goodness. sure what we'll call it. <laughs> um but we we'll be we'll be sharing it probably within the next two weeks.
0: And what what kind of messages do do you hope readers will take from this book?
1: Well, you know, probably there's most well, there's one most important message which is you're not alone. <laughs> and you I mean brothers and sisters in Israel, you I mean students on college campuses and high schools, you, I mean, family members of people in Israel, you, I mean, Jews all over the world. Um, I want us to remember the young woman from uh, who's on a gap year program in Jerusalem who left when everything broke out and talked about how she for a day took off her Magen David necklace. As many people feel scared. I also want us to acknowledge how hard it has been to breathe and how important it is to remember to breathe. I I hope we walk away with a message that we have carried trauma through our history and we are alive. I also want us to remember that Micha Goodman may be correct that for 17 hours, there was Kishinev in the state of Israel, but we are never going back to 1903. Am Yisrael Chai is a promise that Rena Quint, the Holocaust survivor, and Jonathan and Rachel, Hersh's parents, and I, and you, J.A., and you, Merrill, and all of us, we have to promise with incredible courage and determination now. Am Yisrael Chai means something else since the state of Israel's rebirth, since our people's rebirth. And this has to be a moment of, yes, scarred and pained and grieving, but also passionate, emphatic, loving, fierce rebirth.
0: Absolutely. Amen. Uh, So um, I think it was the night before you went on the mission. Um, Stuart and I had the honor and pleasure of um, attending a UJA Federation rally on Long Island, where your your wife, Nishama Karlbach, performed. And I believe... um, there were more than eight hundred people in attendance. And I understand there there were um several other performances throughout the metropolitan area. You want you want to talk a little bit about, about that?
1: Yes. You the real challenge here is will you get me to stop talking about my <laughs> just stupendous wife? Um Nishama um is just one of the most gifted and soulful um people I know, who uses music to express power and vulnerability and love. Um, she put together, with a bunch of communities, a series of four concerts in one week. Um, the concert that happened on Long Island raised $140,000 uh, to support the UJ Emergency Fund. Neshama has been donating all of her work. Um, and rallying people and over the course of the week she she raised half a million dollars for UJA's work. Mm -hmm. Um, The that night was Long Island the next week was Rockland County the next Saturday night was uh, at Romamu in the city and the next night was at Westchester Jewish Center and she is looking for more communities who want to rally themselves to raise support for our sisters and brothers in Israel. So for anyone who hears, I would just ask you to reach out because you have an ally in her, an ally in me, and certainly a mechanism for doing effective good uh, in Israel through our work with UJA.
0: Thank you. So um, I I don't even know where to start with this. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about some of your other (laughs) writing um your topics range from gun violence to torah um i you can tell us how many um books you've published and then i understand you are also a musician and a songwriter and i heard at the um at the concert that you also have a beautiful singing voice i mean you're truly a renaissance man so do you want to talk to us i guess about some of your other writing i mean
1: you asked me do i want to not so yeah. much i really want to focus <laughs> i want to focus on healing our heart that's what i want to do um i it's a bunch of books you know the uh-huh. the num- the number sounds a little bit silly even to say out loud I've, it's been a lot uh-huh. um but the the response that the books represent, either because I write essays and then collect them and release them as groups sometimes, and other times because a moment like, you know, January 6th happens, and it's important to capture rabbinic responses in the letters we wrote to our community. That's a, a, a book called Remember and Do Not Forget. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I also experiment with new technology. So I have a book called the Complete AI Torah Commentary, where oh I generated, generated vo- voices yeah. from the past and from fiction um, <laughs> to write three comments each on the Torah portion. Um, and some of it is shallow, like AI is, and some of it is surprisingly deep. The only parts that I actually wrote in that book were the introduction and conclusion, everything else I co-created with uh, with AI. Um uh, you know, I have a book on on the complicated place of progressive American Jewish Zionism. It's called Fault Lines. I think that that one's very, very important right now. The voices inside are are important. But all of it really represents, I think, what what creative people feel, which is the need to pour it out. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I don't think that I'm a, a disciplined writer. I think that I write because something is happening inside of me and needs to needs to find air sometimes that's just for me but often i think that especially because of the way that i work in the world it's meant to be shared mm-hmm. and often it comes it it comes together it becomes one thing so even though you now you would say the american gun violence epidemic is its own issue and that's true it's also related to the problematic um ideas in america about individualism and communal obligation And individual and communal obligations sound a lot like Jewish values, and Jewish values come from Torah, and Torah, applied in any moment, might give birth to the book um, A Year of Torah, which is a collection of transcribed broadcasts on my daily UJA Torah teaching during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. All of these things touch, and then that, you know, maybe all of it was in preparation for this book, because if I hadn't had all this practice responding and crying and reaching out for relationship and friendship, maybe I wouldn't have been able to do this book. And I just have to say that it's a gift to have received the kind of trainings that I have so that I can be helpful, you know, to have grown up in a community with wonderful teachers and now to to be able to to share life with and partner with my wife, who's bringing just exalted music into our wounded hearts.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then to stand wherever UJA has me stand to say these things, it, for me, it's all one thing. The books and the music and the just the breathing, the breathing even, and talking with you, all of this is meant to be life-giving. And my hope is that, um, is that somehow it helps. That's my goal, somehow to help.
0: Well, I think you're, you're certainly doing that. Um, I think we're about out of time, so we're going to start wrapping up. Um, can you tell us again um, where um, listeners um, can go to to donate to UJA Federation and, and where they can find you online?
1: Sure, thank you. Um UJAFEDNY, that's org is where people can go to uh, donate directly to UJA's work. Um you can find me online at menachemcreditor.net and the book Amisrael Chai you can find on Amazon.
0: Thank you. So is there anything else uh you would like to share with our listeners?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I hope anybody who who's sharing this conversation with us will take really good care of themselves, because Am Yisrael Chai includes each one of us being alive. And if your heart is beating, which it is, because you're here, um, you're alive, and we need you. Which means you have to take good care of yourself so that you can help us take care of each other. I just want to bless you with an extra breath.
0: Well. Thanks so much for joining us today, Rabbi Menachem Creditor. It's been an honor and a pleasure. The new book, Am Yisrael Chai, Essays, Poems, and Prayers for Israel, is available on Amazon. All proceeds go to UJA's Israel Emergency Fund. I also want to thank our executive producer, Pam Stack. People of the Book is a copyrighted presentation of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Please visit and like our Facebook page, People of the Book. I'm your host, Meryl Ayn, the author of, of The Takeaway Men. The sequel, Shadows We Carry, is available now. For more information about my books and writing, visit me at merylain.com. Until next time, please join us on Facebook at Jews Love to Read and read a good book.